It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. The mind is miraculous. It never stops. It can take you to the highest highs and without warning, plummet you into darkness. According to today's guest, Art Dielhan, the mind is so relentlessly compelling that man has tried to manage it, understand it, control it, ignore it, teach it, and fix it. Art joins us today to offer strategies to help us get out of our head. Art had a successful Hollywood career where he directed over 300 primetime episodes and 15 pilots, including Punky Brewster, head of the class, Silver Spoons, Webster, and Sister Sister. He transitioned to a career as a certified career coach and established Los Angeles Coaching in 2000. Art is the author of Get Out of Your Head, It's a Mess in There. Welcome, Art. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan, it's my pleasure. Thank you. So, Art, before we start talking about your book, Get Out of Your Head, which, by the way, I love the title of because it's so true. It really is a mess in there. I want to talk to you a little bit about your journey and your career. How did you get to be a Hollywood director? Um, I was a uh, child actor for a while and did school plays and all of that kind of stuff and then uh, majored in uh, theater in college and realized pretty early on that uh, I, I didn't have the, the guts to uh, become a director, I mean, to become an actor. So I switched into mass comm and started working in public television as a stage manager and uh, as a cameraman and then in the art department. And, and then um, when I got out of the service, I came back and um, worked in public television in, uh, in Denver and then moved to San Francisco and then to L.A. So um, I just started off young in the business and, uh, and never left. You said something interesting. You you phrased it that you didn't have the guts to be an actor. What did you mean by that? I think actors have to be very brave to reveal themselves in film or on stage. And um, I think it's a it's 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 a very brave thing to do. And uh, it's not very remunerative remunerative for most of them. I was in a class in, in Wisconsin, a theater class. I think there were 500 people in the room. It was a huge lecture. And uh, the teacher came in and said, how many of you want to be actors? And of course, just about everybody raised their hands. And he said, well, I want you to know that uh, in act- Actors' Equity and SAG, um, maybe 5% of the people make a living. And when I heard that, it was like, hmm, the, this doesn't sound very good as a pers- prospective career. Um, so I I think it takes, and there's a huge amount of rejection, um, involved in being an actor in in anywhere and especially in Los Angeles, which is also true of of a lot of the other, uh, creative fields. It's a very tough racket. And that's why I asked you about that art, because 
you've written a book now about being such a mess inside of our heads, and, and you're talking about working, as you said, in a creative field that is wrought with rejection. And, and I can only imagine what that would do to someone's thoughts. Uh, that's a really good point. Uh, and what it did to my thoughts uh, is unimaginable. Mm-hmm. It, it was 30 years of fear, pain, agony. I, it's, it's, I, it was very hard because I was very anxious all the time. Um, and the work was very difficult. And um, the politics were difficult and the egos and the personalities. And um it turned out that I wasn't really temperamentally suited to being in those kinds of cauldrons. I mean, I, I loved the work. I loved working with actors. I loved the camera work and the technology. There was a, a whole lot of it that I really loved, which is why I lasted as long as I did. But my internal negative voice um, spent a lot of time beating me up. Um, you aren't good enough you'll never figure this out. Um, You're too fat. You're too thin. You're too strong. You're too weak. You're not good with actors. Um, um, You're great with actors. Uh, Producers don't like you. I mean, I had an internal negative voice that filled my brain just about every day. And once I got on set and started working, usually they, they quieted down because the work was so compelling. But boy, in between times and during holidays and hiatuses and stuff, my mind and my, especially my negative inner voice ran my life. Yeah. And it really wasn't until I, I um, got out of the business and, st- and started going to coaching school and started to get a handle on this sort of how to manage this internal negati- negativity um, that my life completely changed. You know, and, and as you say in, in your, you know, logo, um, what is it? Change is... Uh, change your attitude, change your life. It's all about that. Change your attitude, exactly. And, um, you know, a- attitude and an attitude of gratitude. I like to add the word gratitude. You know, it's a little thing that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can change your attitude, and that starts with your thinking, because yeah. it's like... Um, if you were to put 500 dominoes up on end on a table, on your dining room table, and knock over one of those dominoes, what happens? They all fall down. And it, how long would it take to set up those 500 dominoes? A very long time. And that's sort of what happened to my thinking, and that's what happens to a lot of our thinking, is we let that first domino fall. Actually, we're not even aware of it. And it, we were attacked by this negative thought which then turns into a negative emotion that then turns into um, responses that are usually um, stopping us, getting, making us stuck, feeling depressed, feeling upset, feeling anxious. And then we, we have to dig ourselves out of that hole and set up all those dominoes. And, and what I advocate and what I do for myself now, and it's taken me a while to learn it, is to knock down that first domino but take out the 12th domino. So only 12 fall. And, and then it's easier to set up those 12 dominoes. And, I, and I've tamed that thought from affecting everything else in my life and um, change your attitude. Well, what you just described are, I mean, this is really the way most people live their lives in, in that 
your mental state, like you did it for 30 years. This is how people live day in and day out. And then they wonder why they have the same behaviors and they feel the same emotions and they just can't get out of their own way. And and people are actually getting physically sick now because of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And when I look back on it now, Joan, I'm astounded that I was able to survive and live with that much pain for that long under that those stressful situation, you know, that stressful work environment. I mean, it really boggles my mind. And people say to me now, well, you want to go back and direct? And I go, well, I don't think so. I'm pretty happy right now. Right. Um, I'm at peace in my mind. I'm reconciled in myself and I'm reconciled with my thoughts and I'm reconciled with my spirit. And I, I wouldn't go back there for a million dollars. And honestly, it would be different if I went back now yeah. because I'm thinking totally differently. It changes you into a different person. Totally. Totally. It changes, certainly changes, it's changed my experience in how I experience life. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But it, it, my experience has totally changed in life because my thinking has totally changed and I've learned how to manage it. Right. One of my mentors and teachers, a guy named Rick Carson, wrote a book called Taming Your Gremlin. And, um, you know, uh, his work helped me evolve and understand that these, you know, you're, respons- you're not responsible for the first thought, but you are responsible for every thought that follows. So if you can become absolutely aware of the principle that these thoughts are, are just electrical charges in your brain that are downloading a virus, say, onto your hard drive, that all they are is thoughts, after all. They're just thoughts. And, and often they're just thought fragments. And it's like, wow, okay, and I'm letting those run my life. What's wrong with this picture? Okay, so if you can be aware of the concept and notice when that thought or that thought fragment is dumping into your system, like the thought fragment for me might have been before this interview is, wow, well, you have anything to say. You're not going to have anything to say, or nobody's going to care what you have to say, or Joan won't like you, or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the negative thought was. And it, boom, it starts to download, and I notice it, and I go, oh, oh, wait, you can go sit in the corner with a dunce cap and, and, and look at the wall and, and um, write a hundred times on the blackboard, I will not bother art. You know, it's sort of, I just tell my gremlin to go somewhere else, to take his negative thought and do something with it on his own because I'm not going to be bothered. And then I can move on. And then I can go, oh, wow, you know, I'm going to have an interview with Joan. I'm looking forward to it. Right. Because what happens, Art, is we take that initial thought and then we write an entire story around it. And that story becomes the story of our life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, in my coaching work, one of the things I work on with people um, is, you know, what are your life, what are the life rules that you have, this story wrapped around that you just mentioned that dominate your life? So as an example, I had a story uh, in my life, which was that I was stupid mm-hmm. because um, I had dyslexia and I had trouble reading and I did horribly in school, blah, blah, blah. Okay. 
so I got to college and I was flunking out of college. And then I found TV work, which is all visual. And all of a sudden I was, I graduated with distinction and I went, hmm, what's that all about? And then years later, 40 years later, 50 years later, I took an IQ test for an insurance thing. And the guy said, wow, you're a pretty smart guy. I said, really? How could that be? He said, yeah, you're pretty, you've got a pretty high IQ. So I lived my whole life until my mid fifties thinking dyslexia, that, that was my stories. Not very smart, bad SATs, you know, you really aren't that smart to, oh yeah, I, I, I did okay. I was able to adapt. I was able to find a career that fits for me. I was flexible. And I succeeded in my given career, and now I'm doing well in my next career and enjoying it. So the story that we carry around can be a huge burden if we don't, you know, look at it and in some cases attach dynamite to it and push the plunger. Art, we talked about a few ways that we can push those gremlins aside and rewrite the story. Can you share a few other teachings from your book to help someone get out of their head, to get rid of that mess in there? Sure. Um, here's one of them, one of the aphorisms um, that I use in the book. And um, aphorisms, um, folks aren't familiar with the word and, and um, are sort of guiding principles reduced to their essence. And, and this is one of my favorites. It's act now, procrastinate later. Yeah, I, I was I was always a procrastinator. And what happens when you procrastinate, or when I procrastinate, is um, life's needs can be suppressed, repressed, or flat out denied, creating a huge traffic jam deep inside that exacts a huge psychological and emotional toll. The more I procrastinate, the more that things are left undone or unresolved, the more anxious I get, producing more dysfunction, stress, and paralysis, dragging me into a swamp of self-loathing. So procrastination by its very nature is um, sort of the heartbeat of instability, and it creates chaos in my mind. And so... I'm trying to think of all these things I should be doing and I'm not doing and I'm anxious that I'm not doing. And, and, and you can see how the more you procrastinate, the more those things build and your psychological state becomes very anxious and, and very upset. And um, so what I do is a contrary action. What I've learned to do, I might say, is contrary action. And... Um, and just do the stuff I don't want to do, force myself to do it. Um, put it at the top of the list instead of the bottom of the list. And, and the minute I do it, it's like, I, I think to myself, well, this wasn't that hard. You know, why did I delay for so long? Why did I drive myself through so much mental anguish when I could have just done it and, and been free to go surfing or free to take a walk or free to have dinner with friends. Um, that's just one example. Um, here's one by uh, an aphorism by Pima Chodron. Uh, you are the sky. Everything else is just the weather. Uh, I love this one because now I can see myself as the sky, the blue sky. And then as these thoughts come in that threaten to disrupt me, 
or as things happen out in the world that threaten, disturb me, I can, I can just see them coming in now. I just watch them coming in. I go, oh, here comes the clouds. Oh, maybe there's even rain. Maybe there's even a thunderstorm. But it's on the move. And I watch it move from right to left or left to right and go by me. And then the sun breaks through again, through the clouds. And I go, oh, that's really pretty. And it's just a great metaphor for me because the outside world is always going to present me with problems. And I am my false self, the self of me that engages with this world outside of me, the world, uh, that part of me that wants to be completely competent, seen in a good light, that part of me that wants to be successful, that part of me that wants to, you know, be seen, um, that part is is vulnerable to everything that happens out in the world because mm-hmm. it feels attacked. But my inner self, my true self, the blue sky, nobody can touch that. That's mine. That's my secret place. And if I live in that place and then interact with the world, I'm in a much happier place because the weather doesn't bother me so much anymore. And those are beautiful lessons and they're really impactful. And I think what we all need to start to learn how to do is to just become aware of our lives. We're, we're walking through our lives almost robotic. We're not paying attention. We're, we're reacting. We're, like you said, writing these stories about our lives. But if we slow down and become aware of our thoughts, become aware of all the different things you've described, I think that's really at the heart of the problem. And, and then we can transition or grow from that point you know there's another aphorism in the book near the it's actually the last one it's i am before the thought i am before the thought now i didn't understand that for for many years what that actually meant but what it means is that i for me what it means is that i exist as something other than my thoughts i'm i have passions i have a heart i have a spirit i have a spiritual relationship with um, with the universe. Um, there's so much more of me than just my thoughts. And for a long time, I thought my thoughts were me. I thought that's all I was, was my thoughts. Now, if all I was was my thoughts, then I was in trouble, obviously, and I've spoken to that. But now that I understand that I'm something before my thoughts, I, I can I can live in that place, and that's the secret place we just talked about. And um, and then thought just becomes an extension that I can then it's a tool that I can then manipulate or manage to greater effect for myself. Art, when you start to work with a new client and they come in and they're exhibiting some of the problems we've been discussing, what's the first piece of advice you offer them? Um, you know, I don't give advice, Joan. Um, it's, um, but what we do in the partnership, the coaching partnership is to work on areas of concern. Um, when clients come to me, I send them a discovery packet and they fill that out. And it's a way to really jumpstart the process. And in that they do fill out a primary agenda, which is, their agenda, what they want to accomplish uh, over the next three to six months. Um, 
And once I get clear about, and, and then in the discoveries uh, packet also, there are a lot of questions about, you know, their thinking, how they operate, what makes them a happy puppy, what makes them sad, um, some of their family background, those kinds of things. And when I get all of that material, I, I review it, of course, and then get, try to get clear of what the client wants. And with some clients, they're very clear about what they want to do. They just don't know how to get there. Other clients aren't so clear about what they want to do. So that's a different inquiry, and it starts at a different place on the spectrum. Other clients come in, and they're dominated by this negative voice. And so we, um, we work in that area um, but uh, first, but we also uh, sort of the – the defining statement of the school that I went to, the coaching school, the Coaches Training Institute, is to deepen the learning and forward the action. So when I work with clients, we're always deepening the learning and the understanding of what's going on, but at the same time, we're always forwarding the action to get them moving forward and accomplishing their goals as quickly as possible. Um, but in turn, I, I'm not a directive coach in the sense of telling people what to do or giving them advice unless they ask directly. It's, it's more of a partnership and a back and forth. The book is Get Out of Your Head, It's a Mess in There. If you'd like to get more information about the book or Art and His Work, you can visit getoutofyourheadit'samessinthere.com or losangeliscoaching.com. Or in our final moments, what is the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, I'd like to mention my favorite of the aphorisms in the book. And um, it is that the best I will ever be is human. And why this appeals to me so much is that it embodies all of our humanity, our mistakes, our problems, our difficulties, our challenges, our hope, our love, our passion, everything that we experience in life. And, and to be human is to be, is to err. To be human is to make mistakes. To be human is to not know. I mean, why did I live 30 years in the television industry in, in so much sort of mental anguish? Um, I didn't know. I didn't know what the solution was. I mean, <laughs> it seems to me one of the reasons I'm here is just to keep learning, right? And, and you learn what you learn when you need to learn it. And um, the best I'll ever be as human is just just a lovely aphorism statement for me that, that, that lets us all just be who we are and, and sort of take pleasure in that instead of worrying about everything else. And I think that's a beautiful place to leave it. Art, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed this conversation. My pleasure, Joan. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.